0: Today on Agnews Daily,
1: where we could use pulsating vibrations to get us out of sit-up or stand-up in, in the moment of a crushing event.
0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It's Tech Tuesday here on the Agnews Daily Podcast. And while I am not joined by my normal co-host, Mike Pearson, I am... Joined by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting and fellow farm broadcaster herself, Lori Boyer. Lori, thanks so much for filling in for us today. Well, thanks, Delaney. What an honor and how excited
2: I am to be a part of your show.
0: (laughs) Well, we're excited to have you. Lori, tell our listeners a little bit about your background.
2: I would love to. Thank you. Yeah, I've been a farm broadcaster here for 20 plus years in Colorado, mainly in eastern Colorado. I started out in Lamar, and then about 16 years ago, I went from southeast Colorado, where Lamar's at, over here to northeast Colorado, and I live in Brush. Uh, My main radio station is KSIR, and that is in Fort Morgan, and so I'm about 90 miles northeast of Denver, and I started as a farm broadcaster, and then eventually I built a network, a syndicated radio show called the Colorado Ag News Network. I eventually had the opportunity to partner with a a fellow farm broadcaster here in Colorado on that show, and then he ended up buying me out. It's not very often you find someone who Hmm. uh, wants to purchase a non-tangible product like a radio (laughs) network. (laughs) And so I I sold out to him and just uh, went back to just kind of being the solo broadcaster for our seven-station group we have
0: here. That's awesome. And you're also the current president of NASB. That's very exciting.
2: So I've been on this board for six years, which is quite a run, and I started off as a regional vice president representing the south region of this organization where Colorado is located, kind of in a special election situation because at that time that person moved up into the national vice president role. So then I I served out my term there and then ended up in another two-year term and then ran for national vice president, which I got and have been moving my way up to president-elect. And then we'll be the 2019 president.
0: Well, that's exciting. You've definitely been a role model for myself and other people in the farming, farm broadcasting industry, no doubt.
2: I hope I've been a good role model. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was asked the
2: other day, Delaney. If you don't mind, I'll just throw it out there. Um, <laughs> what kind of changes I've seen in the industry, and, and I, I, you called it Tech Tuesday. So I think it's fitting to throw uh-huh. in there. Of course, the technology has changed so much. In the last 20-plus years, it changes all the time. As you and I both know, we just worked on some technology to get together on
0: this.
2: (laughs) And the other thing is when I first started out, there were very few females doing this job, let alone in our association, and now the females have just caught up, including yourself. And it is so refreshing and so wonderful to see that going on and this becoming a, a job where you know, females have just as much clout and just as much respect and as much voice as men do in the radio, let alone farm broadcasting industry.
0: Yeah, I love it. That's so true, Lori. Well, let's jump into some news for today. Lori, what is going on in your world, in the world of agriculture?
2: Well, here in Colorado, I'll just briefly mention, since I get a chance to mention Colorado, we're so diverse out here. Our harvest is pretty much wrapped up Mm -hmm. for everything. Uh, sugar beets are just straggling just a little bit, but we are almost finished. I saw a beet truck on my way home today. We're almost <laughs> finished there, and the wheat's coming in nicely. We got a little dusting of snow here a couple of days ago. We are crossing our fingers for some more heavy, wet snow to really insulate that wheat so that we have a good crop next year. We've been a, a little bit dry, and uh, so hopefully that's coming in. Moving our cows out to stocks now, and so that's normal for this time of the year. We also need that moisture for our pastures and ranges out here. So that's a little bit of Colorado Mm -hmm. overall. But I find, oh, go ahead.
0: I I was just going to say that's a great segue because uh, I had some news pulled up today about the USDA crop progress report specifically for corn and soybeans. And it looks like the U.S. is about 90% complete with their corn harvest story, which is lagging behind a five-year average of usually 93%. And we're sitting at about 91% harvested for our soybeans, which is also coming in behind pace at about 96% for the five-year average. So it looks like weather is definitely still affecting folks. But that's exciting that Colorado, what is it? How do you, how do you say it? Coloridians? Coloradians? <laughs> Coloradoans. Coloradoans. Coloradoans.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> They're moving right along, though. So that's exciting for you guys.
2: We've been a lot drier than those other areas that that crop Mm. progress report is probably referring to. We had our fair share of storms. We had three tornadoes in one evening that took out a lot of our crops, unfortunately. Mm. So we were getting in and getting our silage out earlier than normal. But then we got moisture, which then put our corn just a little bit behind. But once it warmed up, boy, we got those out. We don't really have a lot of soybeans in Colorado.
0: But you do have some corn, do you not? Yeah. Corn. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So just no soybeans and just no soybeans. Lot. Yeah. All right. Well, Lori, what have you been hearing from producers about the uh, we like to call it here on the podcast, the farmer bailout package, but it's actually the the USDA assistance package. You know that has not really come up a lot to
2: be honest with you. I do know that uh, talking to our local farm service agency executive director that farmers have been taking advantage of that but it's but I really haven't heard a lot on mm-hmm. um, on that. Um, sometimes when I'm talking to our state folks if I bring it up. You'll hear more about things rather than them coming to me. But I do know that interviewing some of our more national organizations, you know, there were some issues with how much uh, Mm -hmm. you mentioned corn, how much corn farmers were getting. They didn't feel that was quite fair. But since we're talking about this and you asked about news things, I found it interesting, just this little kind of side note, but on this same topic, on this. Um, bailout package is that the farm of agriculture has canceled their payments to Smithfield because it's mm-hmm. owned by a Chinese company in the they canceled two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in their payments to Smithfield and I they think that's Really interesting and something that could have easily flown under the radar.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, it's interesting because the other thing that apparently has flown under the radar with these farmer packages, so far we've seen about 87,700 direct payments made to farmers, or I think it's like $1.28 billion. But the working group, the Environmental Working Group, did this report kind of with USDA data off of the tariff relief package, and it showed that of those 87700 direct payments, about almost 1,200 of those recipients resided in some of the nation's largest cities. So average (laughs) payments to, like, city dwellers was $881. But I thought that was crazy because this money is supposed to be going to farmers. I'm not really sure how these people got this money, A USDA spokesperson apparently said that in order to be eligible for trade assistance, individuals must meet the department's, quote, actively engaged criteria for subsidies or contribute significant capital to an agricultural operation or provide land and equipment, labor or management. So I guess these are probably independent landowners that somehow dipped their hands in this pot of money. But I think for the second tranche, which is anticipated to be released here early December, I hope that they're going to take care of this little issue.
2: I did not know the, the statistics that you just shared. <laughs> it's kind of mind blowing. But I do know, in general, some of these um, different conservation programs and such, that has come up on and off throughout the mm-hmm. years of who's actually getting those payments. And I know that USDA and Farm Service Agency at one point were making an effort to really crack down and figure out you know who's getting them and making sure that farmers are but some of those folks that live in the city and i even know a couple in my neck of the woods that reside up along the front range but have land and farms in eastern colorado and that's how they're able to get some of those payments weird
0: i don't know if yeah. that seems fair or not
2: i know yeah it's i don't know if we'll ever be able to to handle all that But no. I, I i know at one point There was an effort made. Whatever came out of that, I I really can't tell you.
0: Right. Well, what else do you see for news today, Lori? I
2: think another thing that's kind of maybe fun for you and I to talk about, but since we're not directly out there (laughs) with the meat cow business every day, you know, we, we call it what the, the green meat or the fake meat. but Yeah, the cell-cultured been, meat. Yeah, cell-cultured meat, all these fun names that we're giving a, a call or that we're calling it. And I've been interviewing various um, meat groups here in the last few months that have been in testimony and have been advocating that USDA be the oversight on what's going on to make sure the labeling is correct and to make sure that consumers are getting a safe product but really making sure that they realize it's not actual meat.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: so I'm sure you saw this today, too. The Department of Agriculture and the Food and Drug Administration are going to be splitting up oversight.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really the best move.
2: I do, too. And I wouldn't, it, you know, I'm I'm not that smart, but I wouldn't have guessed <laughs> that that's how it played out in the end. So I, I have to admit I was a little bit surprised to kind of see how that came down.
0: Mm-hmm. I think it's good, though. It shows. That our government is doing what it should and working with the departments and allocating duties as need be, and not just one person staying up and saying, Oh, yep, yeah, we're going to take care of all of this. Exactly.
2: And starting to see some of these groups or some of these government agencies work together on these issues, mm-hmm. I think, is a good thing because we really need that communication. And I think that people need to be accountable to each other and agencies need to be accountable to each other to make sure they're doing the right thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, that actually leads me into another piece of news I had for today, and that's the farm bill. We are still seeing House and Senate agriculture leaders and their staff negotiating the farm bill, but they're heading to recess here for Thanksgiving. I think technically their Thanksgiving recess starts tomorrow, but it looks like some of the Aides are having to stick around during their Thanksgiving to work on this. Um, I thought it was interesting because they said even if we do get a deal wrapped up so Congress can move in on it on early December, it's still going to take a long time for them to make tweaks to uh, to the actual text. So it doesn't sound like, I don't know, I'm not optimistic that we're going to get one here before the end of the year. Lori, what do you think? I would agree with you, Delaney. I really would. I think our best guess,
2: our best shot of getting that done would have been this week Mm -hmm. to at least get a head start on it. So when they come back, they can start really Um, signing and really getting it moving. It's kind of a scary thought, you know, when you said the aides are all sticking around (laughs) I know (laughs) because those are the true writers of the Farm Bill. And I know at our Washington Watch events, they're the ones that come in and talk to us. They literally are the ones drafting the language. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Crazy, isn't it? (laughs) It is. And, you know, just when you think you have a grip on what's going on with it, then other things pop up. And I know the main sticking point is the snap work requirements, but there's also other issues in there that kind of go under the radar that we're not seeing a whole lot of like some of the conservation things. And I can't speak in detail because I don't even really understand or know all the details, but just those little sticking points that kind of keep coming up that you're like, whoa, where did that come from?
0: Yeah, I know. That's what I think too. And then it feels like they do all this, you know, backdoor, behind the scenes Mm -hmm. negotiating, and then all of a sudden, boom, it's just going to be done, and everybody's going to be like, wait, I thought you were still working on this and this and this? I have been told this before. I do not really know if it's true, but
2: I've been actually trying to pay more attention. I was once told by a lobbyist that a lot of times big legislation in Congress takes place around the holidays, because mm-hmm. that's when people are not paying as much attention to what's going on in Congress. Interesting. So I'll just put that I out like there. that conspiracy. <laughs> I don't. I, now, I don't know if that's true, you know, from a journalist, I, coming from a journalist oh, like yeah. me. I really don't know if it's true. I've not checked my facts at all. But I am starting to pay attention just personally to see if, indeed, mm-hmm that kind of stuff is true. So Mm -hmm. watch for, I don't know about the farm bill, but watch for other rollouts around the holidays when you're not focused on what's going on there in DC.
0: Well, that could be true. The last piece (laughs) of news I have is maybe playing right into that. um, The EPA is going to propose new targets for the final three years here of the nation's renewable fuel program in January. They're going to try and replace some of those decade-old goals because it went into effect first in 2007, kind of to use up some of the corn glut that we were seeing. This standard expires in 2022, so the last three years here, they're going to try and change some of those blending requirements. So I'm sure that's just going to put up another battle here between the ethanol and oil industry. How timely that is, too, when the
2: uh, the president, Donald Trump, Mm -hmm. has announced that he is in support of renewable fuels and some of those standards that the corn industry and renewable fuels industry has been pushing for. So that's yeah. very timely, isn't it? Absolutely. It absolutely is. Well, I don't know what all they're looking at, what all the details are. I'm sure they'll be rolling those out. And there's going to be mm-hmm. a lot of different a lot of different proposals, I'm
0: sure. But yeah. it,
2: <laughs> the other side note to that is EPA getting their standards put in place on time.
0: hmm that's always the kicker. Yes. That's the kicker. Yes.
2: But I know Colorado corn is very much in favor of increasing the blending fuel requirement mm-hmm. and anything to really use ethanol. We have a couple of large ethanol plants here in Colorado and a pretty active renewable fuels industry p- period. Oh, interesting.
0: I never would have guessed that, actually.
2: Yes, very much so. We have some very large-scale wind farms here. Uh, we, we have them in northeast and southeast Colorado. And there's another one going in that's just east of the Front Range. So hmm. we have a lot of that. We have a lot of solar here in Colorado and a lot of hydropower. That's more on the western slope than it is on the eastern slope up in the mountains. But yeah, we're very active in renewable fuels here.
0: Awesome. Well, we certainly are in Iowa too. Lori, do you have any other news for us today?
2: Those are the big headlines. Okay. You know, I w- I wish I could say more on the farm bill. I wish we knew (laughs) more on the farm bill. Yeah, I feel like I'm always talking about the farm bill, (laughs) but no action.
0: (laughs) I know. It's always like, well, we don't have any news. So I guess that's news (laughs) in itself itself. uh, Exactly. Oh, well. Let's look at the commodity markets for today. And, of course, those markets are sponsored by our partners at the Zaner Group. You can give any one of them a call at 312-277-0050. We had Brian Grossman on from the Zaner Group just yesterday. So if you missed that Market Monday episode, be sure and tune in to that because we definitely had some moves yesterday in the soybean markets. And, Lori, it looks like we had some moves again today, some, maybe some correction from yesterday's ugly, ugly clothes. We'll take it, won't we? We will. (laughs) Let's start here in the December corn contract. We closed down a penny today at 361 and a quarter. The March closed down a penny as well to end at 372 and a quarter. The January soybean contract gave got back a little bit of yesterday's losses, up seven and two quarters cents at 881, even while the March up seven cents to end at 894 and a half. In the wheat pits, the December contract up two and two quarters cent to end at. 5 Dollars and three quarters cents, even while the March up two cents to end at 508 and a half. Hopping over into the livestock markets, they're giving up a lot of what they put on the board yesterday. The December live cattle contract lost 45 cents to close at 115.70, while the February down 27 and a half cents to close at 119.72.5. The January feeders cut 40 cents today to end at 146.87 and a half while the March. Cut 17.5 cents, tickles at 144.15. In the lean hog pits, the December contract not quite limit down today, losing 205 to end at 58.97.5, while the February losing $1.90 to close at 67.12.5, and rounding out the markets with Class 3 dairy. We've got November contract down 8 cents, tickles at 14.47, the December down 21 cents, tickles at 14.45. And the January down 25 cents to close at 14.56. With that, I'm going to turn it over to my conversation for today's Tech Tuesday interview with CEO of Swine Tech, Matthew Ruda. For today's Tech Tuesday interview, I'm catching up with Matthew Ruda, who is the CEO for Swine Tech. Matthew, thanks so much for joining me today.
1: No problem. Thank you for having me.
0: So you guys have a phenomenal story. Can you walk us through how you got started running a company at such a young age, especially?
1: Oh, yeah. There's so many things that just had to come together at the right time, a little bit of luck, a little bit of being in the right place at the right time. Ultimately, what it came down to was I grew up in the pork industry, working with pigs practically my whole life and was studying at the University of Iowa to be an obstetrician. My Really best friend and uh, co-founder today, Abraham Espinoza, was studying computer science. And the University of Iowa was handing out grants for students with good business ideas. And before we knew it, we were kind of applying to different different things to see if our idea was a good idea. And it seemed like everybody liked it. So things just kind of fell into place one after another
0: from there. So let's talk about your idea. So. Walk me through how you came up with the idea to create technology that would prevent sows from crushing their piglets.
1: So it all started back in uh, 2013. I was, I was walking through uh, a farrowing house. Uh, I was a farrowing manager for a sow farm in Waterloo, Iowa. And part of the job was every morning you go in and you attend the sows that are giving birth and you know, ensure that all the piglets have what they need and You also have to collect the dead baby pigs at the same time and one after another sows had crushed piglets. It was kind of a normal thing. I mean in the industry today as a whole up to 160 million piglets die from piglet crushing. So where the mom rolls over on the baby worldwide. But there was one mom who crushed eight of her piglets within an hour and that that just made me say fine I got to come up with something and started brainstorming over the next year little ideas here and there most of them were really bad but after talking to veterinarians and a couple other people in the industry we refined it to something that today is is saving
0: lives so let's talk about uh, today's technology it's smart guard is that the official name of your product it is so what is smart guard and how can producers use it in their hog operations
1: so smart guard gives pigs, the voice, and is the eyes and the ears for the producer. It is a monitor and a pen that listens to everything going on and can in real time determine when a baby piglet is getting crushed and pinpoint and locate which mom is crushing that piglet and, and do it in a way where we're getting the right mom up off of her baby and saving that piglet's life. Uh, we're also tracking real-time behavior of the mom so that we know, is she getting enough exercise? Is she, is she eating enough? Is she Is she healthy? And, and with that, we're able to give a whole new perspective to producers to offer a whole new level of care.
0: So with the smart guard, it, it, you said it was audio and video both or just audio?
1: Just audio.
0: Okay. So with that real time data, how does that help get the sow off of the piglets or prevent crushing? Is it a producer has to go in then and get the sow up or how does that work?
1: No, so we actually found a way to do it real time. There, there is a, it's, it would be impossible to alert a producer to get the sow up in time. So we had to figure out a way that we could prompt the sow real time. And we looked at, can we feed her? Can we use sound? And none of those works. So we started looking into other things uh, such as like dog collars, but those were too strong. And eventually what we ended up with was a chiropractic therapeutic tool called a TENS unit. Where we could use pulsating vibrations to get a sow to sit up or stand up in, in the moment of a crushing event.
0: Okay, I've got to ask, how does a sow, a four or 500 pound sow, respond to something like that, to this just pulsating vibrations or whatever you want to call it?
1: Yeah, no. So what the TENS unit does is it sends an impulse to a specific nerve or muscle. And if you've ever had static, you know when you touch a door handle and it, and it mm-hmm. gets you, and you oh, oh wow, it, uh, it creates that reaction. So it creates the reaction of oh I need to stand up, and they stand up, and then they they go back to their day. Usually they go to to eat, or they nuzzle back down and, and milk for for their piglets. But uh, yeah, it's how can we create a response that kind of brings back mothering instincts to the sow so that she can. Be alerted and and be alert in a a moment where one of her piglets is dying.
0: Wow, that's really impressive.
1: Yeah, and this would, this would go on, on pigs indoors or pigs outdoors. It's, it's a problem on either side of, uh, pork production and one that's existed for, for decades.
0: Yeah, okay, I guess that's a good question. So I was picturing it to be in farrowing houses or more indoor settings. How does it work in an outdoor setting where hogs are roaming or not in confined spaces?
1: So for us, we haven't branched much into that environment. There, there is actually a girl out of Australia who uses a pig coat that can, can do things hmm. for just outdoor pigs, uh, which is pretty cool, but outdoor pigs uh, typically lay on far more piglets than than cells that are housed indoors, and so it's a problem for them as well. It's just there's not a whole lot of people doing that today, so it's a a completely different market.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So for your technology, I assume you've done lots of research and lots of tests. What kind of results have you seen from either a death loss perspective or an economic perspective?
1: So we went in to, to do these tests, and we we're curious as to how would it affect sow farms that are that have a low mortality rate versus a high mortality rate, and at the end of the day, we found that in regards to percentage reduction of the problem, it was pretty much the same across the board. We could reduce it by by up to fifty nine percent but typically around forty five percent uh the amount of piglets that would die from crushing in those first few days and that was really cool. Uh, we even saw on one site that we were reducing overall mortality by just over thirty percent and uh, can tell you about, after all the hard work that we put in for a few years, hearing hearing results like that and hearing the voices on producers who are just excited and relieved to finally solve the problem there's nothing nothing better in the world
0: so if I have a really large fairing house let's say I have two or three thousand sows, how many of these bundles or packages would I have to buy for something that size I mean is it worth it if I have a really large operation or is it better if I have a smaller operation
1: so it scales with whatever size the operation is Uh, essentially what a producer does is they take the device and they place it in the pen with the the two sow or the sow it can oversee two pens at once and it's in that pen a day before she gives birth and three days post giving birth after that they can move it to a new New stall where new piglets have to be protected. Uh, the device itself oversees up to 160 sows or litters a year. Hmm. So it can, it can oversee quite a bit. So a farm with 2000 sows would need roughly 30 to 35 devices and it becomes right around a $50,000 investment. However, it's priced to provide a year ROI. So they get full payback within that first year and then after that it's pure profits.
0: Hmm. So if I buy this system, is it mine to keep after that, or do you guys charge an application or like a yearly fee with that?
1: It is theirs to have. Uh, as we continue to grow, we'll be able to do more things that can add uh, substantially more value, and, and those would be more of a subscription-type fee. But when it comes to saving piglets from getting crushed and understanding how how is the sow moving around, that is – there's to have uh, for the lifetime of the product, which is designed to be, be around three to four years.
0: Okay. So, Matthew, what is one smart guard bundle, which includes the monitor, the wearables, patches, and charging station? What does something like that go for?
1: So, right now, it's going for around $1,400 uh, a ship set, so for a bundle but we're doing a special discount right now through May for early producers who are looking to, to trial this, this device. Uh, so there's a, a 15, 15% discount on that for select individuals who, who believe that uh, by what they're doing, they can, they can add value with the device.
0: Awesome. Hey, Matthew, if folks want to look more into that or get this device for their operation, where should they head for that discount?
1: So they would just give us a call. Uh, Just visit our website at swinetechnologies.com or swinetech.co and uh, send us an email or give us a call and we're happy to talk.
0: And this, so I assume that this is the first year you're kind of rolling it out here for commercial usage,
1: Yes, so we we've been using it for about the past year and a half on roughly ten thousand litters, and now that we believe we have all the all the bugs out and we're ready to grow, we're we're releasing it to to other people who want to use it.
0: That's really awesome. So, Matthew, final question for you: What does the future of Swine Technologies look like? You've got your commercial rollout this year. What else do you have in the works?
1: So, for us, what we're focused on is how can we completely map what's going on in a farrowing pen? How can we completely see and hear everything going on so that producers can more efficiently manage what's going on in their farrowing house? It's a very, it's not an easy job and there's a lot of things that need to be done and it can be kind of chaotic. So how can we create more of a seamless environment uh, by introducing technology that they can know and understand more?
0: Absolutely. Matthew, one more time. What's that website if folks have questions
1: swinetechnologies.com or swinetech.co.
0: Awesome. Matthew, thank you so much. This is really exciting technology that you guys have going on there for the swine industry.
1: Hey, thank you. No, I really appreciate it. Uh, I really appreciate everything farmers do for this country. It's it's the backbone of the country. So anything we can do to help is what we're going to do.
0: Well, again, thank you to Matthew there. Interesting stuff they're doing. I love being able to tell uh, tell stories like that, Lori. I'm sure you do, too. Absolutely. That's the best part about our job. That is absolutely the best part. Well, Lori, if folks have enjoyed hearing you but can't listen to you in Colorado because they don't live there, how can they interact with you in other facets?
2: Well, actually, we do stream our, our radio station six. online. We have listeners from across the country at ksar.com. And so that's the best place to stream. We can also find us at 1010ksar on Facebook.
0: Awesome. Well, you can find Ag News Daily on Facebook and Twitter as well if you want to interact with us. Just search for at Ag News Daily or head to our new home, globalagnetwork.com backslash agnewsdaily to listen to any of our past podcasts. Lori, here on the Ag News Daily podcast, we like to ask, is it time to let the people go? And you'll answer, Lori, is it time to let the people go? It's time to let the people go, yes.